Discussions regarding the wisdom of a $15 federal minimum wage continue to rage across the nation, but it's worth noting that such a minimum wage would be far less impactful than when it was first widely discussed several years ago. As indicated by writer Andrew Van Dam, in 2019, approximately 39 million people earned less than $15 an hour in America. Those 39 million workers represented about 28% of the workforce. As recently as 2007, most workers in the U.S. earned less than $15 an hour. Though the number of workers earning less than $15 has declined dramatically over the last several years, some groups are significantly overrepresented in that population. As indicated by Van Dam, women remain more likely than men to earn less than $15 an hour. Black and Hispanic people are also more likely to be paid less than the proposed new federal minimum wage. Approximately 46% of Hispanic women and 39% of black women still earn less than $15 an hour. Accordingly, raising the minimum wage would not simply increase spending power for workers able to retain their jobs, but it would also help close certain disparities that exist along demographic lines. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. As indicated by writers Eric Morath and Heather Haddon, an ongoing debate to raise the federal minimum wage has tied Congress in knots, but many large employers and business groups wouldn't mind an increase. Most businesses across the nation already pay well above the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Many business associations favor raising that wage floor, but not by as much as the $15 level proposed by the Biden administration. Predictably, there are now many members of Congress who are considering policies that embody a smaller increase, for instance, to $10 an hour or delaying the $15 an hour phase-in process. Large employers such as Amazon and Costco already start workers at $15 an hour or more. Walmart, America's largest private employer, recently indicated that it would raise its average hourly pay to above $15 but would keep its minimum at $11. But the issue is not so much large businesses but smaller ones. Smaller businesses can't raise wages as easily as large ones, which can more easily adapt by deploying labor-saving technology on a large scale or by modestly adjusting hours for their large workforces. And of course, many small businesses have been laid low by the pandemic, including restaurants and Main Street retailers. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. A year ago, governors and other leaders were wrestling with many issues, including how much damage would be done to state government finances during the pandemic. Remarkably, in many states, the financial damage has not been severe. By some measures, states ended up collecting nearly as much revenue in 2020 as they did in 2019. As indicated by writer Mary Williams Walsh, a J.P. Morgan survey describes 2020 as virtually even with 2019 based on the financial performance of 47 states that report their tax revenues every month. The only states that don't are Alaska, Oregon, and Wyoming. Research emerged from the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center recently, determining that total state revenues from April through December of last year were down just 1.8% from the same period in 2019. Moody's Analytics embraced a different perspective and found that 31 states now have enough cash to fully absorb the economic stress emerging from the pandemic without federal assistance. There are a number of factors at work, including the fact that many white-collar workers who often pay significant state income taxes were able to work remotely and continued to be paid. Federal stimulus also helped bolster consumer spending, which translated into solid retail sales tax collections. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. 
According to estimates from Bloomberg Economics, consumers in the world's largest economies amassed $2.9 trillion in extra savings during COVID-related lockdowns. Households in America, China, the United Kingdom, Japan, and the largest Euro-area nations have also been saving aggressively in part because of their inability to take vacations, eat at restaurants, attend sporting events, and patronize theaters. Of that $2.9 trillion tally, about half the extra savings are in the United States alone. That means that America's households have amassed approximately $1.5 trillion in surplus savings, and that total continues to expand. In China, the total is $430 billion. In Japan, it's $300 billion. And in the United Kingdom, it's around $160 billion worth of surplus savings. Once COVID-19 becomes less of a factor in shaping our behavior and opportunities to spend, these accumulated savings will provide fuel for rapid economic recovery. And that could be the story during the latter half of 2021. There are, of course, some caveats. First, this presumes that available vaccines will continue to be effective against emerging viral strains. Second, not all households have accumulated savings, with many Americans facing food insecurity and or looming evictions. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. Many observers note what has become a massive push to the suburbs in America. Over the past year, many people have sought to take advantage of lower mortgage rates, inducing them to leave expensive city apartments behind in favor of suburban homes. A desire to more aggressively social distance, for more space for home gyms and home offices, and the coming of age of millennials have also helped push more Americans into suburban homeownership. But America is hardly alone. Similar trends are apparent in Canada, our friendly neighbor to the north. As indicated by Bloomberg Wealth, Canada's three largest metropolitan areas, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, built more apartment units per capita than almost every other large North American city over the past decade. Indeed, from 2010 to 2019, Vancouver built the most apartment units per capita among large metropolitan areas in North America, according to data compiled by Bloomberg and online brokerage Redfin. But the COVID-19 pandemic and its attendant remote work revolution have urbanized, leaving those cities in record numbers, emptying condominium towers, and sending apartment rents tumbling. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.